So when I was in college, a couple of things happened to me that hadn't happened to me before. And I realized looking back that these type of things happen to everybody at some point, usually kind of around this college age. And I also realized looking back that the way that we react to this, these couple of things that happened to us, they have a lot to do with how the next stage of life is going to go. They have a lot to say with how we're going to be able to react to things happening in life and how we'll be able to live a life of faith. Is that dramatic enough for you? Uh, my name is Chris Kimston. I am the Young Adult and Missions Minister at Hope Des Moines, our Des Moines campus in the beautiful capital city of Des Moines, Iowa. And we just moved to a brand new building on the corner of 25th and University, right across the street from Drake University, where I went to school. Go Bulldogs. Very excited. Uh, and we're looking to start Kairos there this next fall. Uh, we're already up with some social media things and have some really interesting podcast stuff going up over this summer. So we're just very excited uh, to get to start that. And we're going to be continuing that with Drake as well as any of the other awesome colleges and universities that are in the great city of Des Moines. So I'm super excited to get to be with you here talking about this new series that we're starting, this interesting stages of life that we find ourselves in. And speaking of those things that happen to people, that first thing of those couple things, the first thing that happened to me was that I experienced loss. Now, you can experience loss in a lot of different ways, but the way that it happened to me was, in kind of a significant way at least for the first time, was that I lost a family member. My grandpa passed away uh, my first winter at Drake University, and it was really interesting because while I was fortunate enough to never have really experienced that before in my life, it was weird because I was alone for the first time. Uh, my, my randomly assigned roommate, Colin, never showed up to school. Different sermon for a different time. Uh, but I was trying to cope with this newfound sense of freedom that I had never had before at the same time as coping with this newfound sense of loss. In a very unstable time in my life, I wasn't really sure what to do. And I help organize in my job now, I help to organize the efforts at Revive Des Moines, the city's contingent of Hope's young adult ministry for people in their 20s and their 30s, just right out of college. And we talk a lot about how young adulthood is essentially a time of transition, which when you think about it, that's what loss is, is transitioning from one stage of things to the next. And so in a lot of ways, young adulthood in your 20s and your 30s, kind of the quarter life stage of things, as we like to refer to it, is, is really a season of loss. Maybe for you, that season of loss, it's, it's you're mourning the season where you live with your parents or your siblings or who else, whoever else is in your nuclear family. And while that can be really exciting, and maybe some people, uh, some of you listening could not wait to get to that point, it can also be a really terrifying thing at the same time. And Maybe you're, the loss is uh, a season of life where your friends that you've known for most of your life, you know exactly where their houses are, you kind of have that shared geography of, of home, all of a sudden that's different for them. They have different priorities and different life circumstances. Maybe for you, it's a loss of confidence. Maybe you used to kill it in a certain uh, passion or, or way that you saw yourself, your talents, and... Uh, you felt like the big fish in the small pool, but now all of a sudden you find yourself a much smaller fish in a much bigger pool. Maybe you had an audition that didn't go well. Maybe you didn't make it into the certain program you wanted, or maybe you didn't make that team. 
And that can be a huge loss of identity and definitely a time of transition. Maybe you've lost a relationship. I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, but maybe you uh, had that friend that was as close as a sibling, that supposed BFF, and now they're just somebody that you see on social media or you don't really reach out as much as you used to now that you don't have that shared geography. Or maybe like me, it was when you realized that you had entered that season of loss where people of older generations in your life are reaching the, uh, the end of life and you are starting to get into the season where you experience some of those loss from people in older generations. Now, whatever that loss is for you, whatever that transition is for you, it's the first of the couple things that happen to us. Uh, that's the first of a couple things is a season of transition. And because of that, for this new series here in Kairos, that's what we want to talk about the second thing. The first thing, transition, because how we react to that second thing could be everything. The second thing that happens to us is that people will tell us what we're supposed to believe. And they often tell us what we're supposed to believe with certain ways that they were taught. This new series is called Clichés, and each week we'll deal with different clichés, these little statements and phrases that have been used so often that they don't really mean anything anymore. Oftentimes they've just been said so often that we would, we would hold them to be true, but if we look at it a little bit closer, it's maybe a little bit different than we thought. Maybe it doesn't quite hold up to everything that we would claim to believe. And the reason that I'm talking about loss and challenging times and tradition is because that's where these platitudes, that's where these cliches often show up, in these transition points in life. And while good, loving people are usually trying to help by saying these things during tough times, they often unintentionally do a whole lot of harm. So we're not only going to point out some of these cliches, we're not just looking to tear this type of stuff down, but we're also going to try to give a more helpful understanding during these times that we find ourselves in. So if we're not relying on these statements, what are the truths that we're going to point towards? And this first one that we're looking at for this week to kick off this series of cliches, this first statement is one that we hear all the time during times of struggle and loss. The famous, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. People say, say it all the time after a major loss. They certainly said it to me after my grandpa died. Uh, they, they've said it in consequent times of loss after that. They say it after catastrophes that are hard to explain. And I've even heard people use it when talking about COVID-19. Everything happens for a reason. So here's where this statement is true, and this is probably why it sticks around. God is indeed powerful and is over everything that happens. And the Bible does state that God has a plan for our lives. Now, oftentimes, when Christians point to this verse, they're pointing to verses like this, or in Ecclesiastes, where it says that there's a season for everything ordained by God, or other mentions of God's providence, God's power over places, in, like uh, in Proverbs or the Psalms that talk about how God's over everything. But the interesting thing is that no matter what we're talking about, um, when we talk about the Bible and point to a lot of different verses, the interesting thing is that everything happens for a reason isn't really in the Bible like we use it today. It's not there but let's look at what the Bible does say and where God is indeed leading us. 
So feel free to flip in your Bibles, uh, scroll to your Bibles, whatever that looks like for you, uh, to John chapter 14. We find ourselves in one of the Gospels. Those are the, the Bible books named after dad names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we find ourselves right now with Jesus talking to his disciples. He's just told them that they will know where to go because they know him. And uh, a famous doubter starts the conversation here Uh, John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be good enough for us. Let's pause there for a second. I don't know if you can tell this, but Jesus has just said a really profound thing, that they'll be able to know God because they've known him. And instead, Thomas, and likely the other disciples as well, just like us, completely missed the point and are focused on the wrong things. Because Jesus has said, you'll know me if you, you'll know God if you know me. But instead, what, he's, what Thomas has said is, yes, let's see God. Show us behind the curtain exactly what God is doing. Because you see, this is what everything happens for a reason. That cliche does to us sometimes as well. When everyone and everything is a puppet of God, then reality becomes some sort of puzzle that we're trying to figure out what God's doing. Like trying to see the code of the matrix. That there's some secret knowledge to put us on the in crowd if we can just see from the right perspective. Instead of the kingdom of God and our lives being something to participate in. So they're missing the point. They're trying to see exactly what's happening here in a little bit of the wrong way. And so Jesus continues on verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me uh, will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than me. You see, Jesus is telling him, no, look at me. Look at the work that we're doing. This isn't about trying to figure out uh, how the strings are being pulled to try to figure out the code of what God is trying to tell us. But instead, he says, look at me. Look at the work that we're doing. This is what it means to bring the kingdom here, to say yes to what is in front of you. We choose to participate in this world by doing the work of God. It's not about trying to figure out some sort of secret matrix language, but instead... We choose to participate in the kingdom around us. If you could hear anything that I'm saying tonight, the point that I would like to make is this. God doesn't cause the problems, but calls us to be a part of the solution. God doesn't cause the problems, but calls us to be a part of the solution. Oftentimes, people use this statement of everything happens for a reason to either understand something that's not possible to understand 
or to distance themselves from the responsibility in what's happened. In the case of something terrible like a hurricane or an earthquake or even an appearance of a new virus, there's no explanation that is going to make us feel better about the type of loss and the chaos that it's caused. And so we put our faith that it must be some part of God's larger plan to bring redemption in the kingdom to the world, aka another way to say that would be uh, God must have done this or else it doesn't make any sense. When in reality, we have to be comfortable, we have to live in the discomfort of the fact that we live in a broken world where bad things happen. And this side of heaven, as Pastor Mike likes to say, that's the reality that we live in. In the case of wrongdoing, uh, for example, I can't hit Danny's car in the parking lot and then walk in and say, hey man, (laughs) Lord works in mysterious ways, right? I mean, listen man, everything happens for a reason. I obviously am making a joke, Danny, I did not hit your car in the parking lot, but the logic is still there. I need in that circumstance to take responsibility for the actions that I have caused, the mistakes that I have made. It doesn't make sense to randomly blame it on God. And that's a silly example, but it plays out in the case of something much closer to where we as as a country and in the world are at right now. With a situation like systematized racism, for example, we can, we can sit back and wonder, man, God must be working in some weird and mysterious ways. But many of us faithful, well-intentioned people use this excuse of everything happens for a reason as an excuse to say, well, God's got it. God's going to just fix it. Now, we use the understanding of this cliche to support the idea that if God is the one pulling all of the strings, then we have no responsibility to fix it. When in reality, instead of relying on God to snap God's fingers and magically fix the problems in the world, problems that we've often created for ourselves, God uses us to fix the problems. We participate with God to bring the kingdom to the world. So this can be a really heady subject. You know, it can be way up in the clouds discussion about who makes decisions. It might be a little philosophical. Your head might be spinning a little bit. So let's break it down this way with this cliche. Here's what's fiction, and here is what's fact. A fiction is that God makes bad things happen to teach us a lesson. I'm going to share a secret with you. God doesn't need to make bad things happen. People do enough of that themselves. We've got that covered because we get to make our own choices. And because we're broken people, we will constantly choose the wrong thing. God doesn't make bad things happen. We've got that covered We are all broken people, but made in the image of God. And God gives us the choice about whether or not we'll follow the example of Jesus in the world. Now, we believe that God gives us that opportunity and loves us so much that God gives us the freedom to choose for ourselves. Now, because we're human, that means that we often cause brokenness in the world when we choose to go the other way. Now, not, often, not, not always is all brokenness in the world created by human brokenness, but a lot of it can be traced back to bad decisions that people have made. So that's a fiction, is that God doesn't cause bad things to happen just to test us. But here's a fact. 
what we're pointing to instead. God can and does work within bad situations to share God's glory. God works in the bad situations to show God's glory and to fix the problems, to love us well. God doesn't cause us to be a part of the problem, but calls us to be a part of the solution. So when some hear me saying this about how God's not pulling all of the strings, uh, if you grew up with that understanding, you might be thinking, okay, well, if God's just going to let us make our own decisions, isn't that mean sitting back? Isn't that wrong that God just doesn't fix it all? What kind of God is that? Why doesn't God fix the problem? God is trying to fix the problems in the world because God sent you. Yes, you, whoever I'm talking to, however you're hearing this, watching this, uh, whenever that might be, God sent you, your first, middle, last name here. We worship a God that is so good that in addressing the problems of the world, in addressing the brokenness, in addressing all of the issues that we could possibly cause here, God uses us and our blessings and the things that we've been handed so that we can go out and love people well. He uses us to fix that problem in the world. And us using our individual blessings and privileges and our own hearts and talents and minds for us to go out and use our lives to help fix those problems. That's what it means to bring the kingdom to the world. And that doesn't happen if we sit back because we think that we're all puppets. We worship a God that is so good that God uses us. God doesn't cause us to be a part of the problem, but calls us to be a part of the solution. So the question might be, what does that look for you? Look like for you this week, this season, this year, this decade? But let's start with this week. What are a couple of concrete steps that we can take to better take action, to better take responsibility for how we are in the world and start to become a solution to the problems in the world? Here's some challenging questions that we could ask to maybe address some of those issues. Where are you leaning on the hope that God might just fix a problem instead of seeing yourself as a solution? A lot of times we do that because it's, it's really easy to do that instead of uh, pursuing some of the hard conversations, instead of pursuing some of the hard relationships, maybe stepping back into a place that has caused brokenness before but we can do so because we know that the God of the universe is with us and is trusting us and has given us what we need. Where are you leaning on the hope that God might just fix a problem instead of seeing yourself as part of a solution? Maybe the next step for you is where are you being called in your own circumstance, in your own journey, in your own path of life, where you're at right now? Where are you called to be the help that someone else is praying for? Because we don't live in a vacuum. We are all connected with each other. You are the answer to someone's prayer that they've been asking God for because of what you have. And it's all for the, for the glory of God. God gives us all to us, but God's so good that he uses us to bless other people. So what does that look like? 
Just take a second to consider the things that you've been given. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a passion. Maybe you're just really welcoming. Maybe you're called to get more involved with Kairos at any of the different sites, whether that's Des Moines with me or, or Ames here with Haley and Danny or Iowa City with Kat and the rest of the squad out there. Whatever that looks like, maybe it's your opportunity to step into faith. Maybe it's jumping into a different spiritual practice. Uh, maybe it's reading the Bible more. Maybe it's, it's jumping in to say, yes, God, here I am. What would you have me do? I know maybe that sounds way too woo-woo for some people out there. Maybe prayer is weird for you and you're just kind of here, not quite sure what you think about things. That's okay too. God is still just as here for you as God is for anybody else. So the question is, just to contemplate and think about this week, where are you being called in your own circumstance to be the help that someone is praying for? What is one step you can take into bringing the kingdom to the world? Because God, remember, doesn't cause the problems, but calls us to be a part of the solution. Amen.